Welcome to Keeping It Israel, brought to you by First Century Foundations. This weekly podcast explores how your Christian faith connects to Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's your host, Executive Director of First Century Foundations, Jeff Feuders. Well, welcome to the podcast today. My name is Jeff and I'll be your host and it's great to have you with us today. Our guest today is Sandra Barris and Sandra is the uh, director of CFOIC, Heartland Israel's office. And uh, CFOIC stands for Christian Friends of Israeli Communities. And uh, so CFOIC Heartland is the only Christian organization to focus exclusively on the communities of the heartland of biblical Israel. Israel. She lives in a small Samaritan town called Karnei Shamron. And Sandra, welcome back. It's great to have you on the podcast again. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, it is our privilege. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that is being commemorated this week, actually, uh, the horrible event of Kristallnacht. And um, this happened November 9th and 10th, 1938, when the Nazis unleashed a series of programs against the Jewish people living in Germany and its newly incorporated territories. Uh, During these programs, of course, Jewish-owned businesses, synagogues, and homes were violently vandalized, and some 30,000 Jewish men were rounded up and taken to concentration camps. This was the first massive arrest of its kind for simply being Jewish. And this event has become to be known as Kristallnacht or the Night of Broken Glass. So Sandra, uh, this week marks the anniversary of that event. Do you have any sort of personal connection to this event at all? Well, I don't think there's a Jew anywhere on earth that doesn't feel a personal connection to Kristallnacht in in particular and to the Holocaust in general. Uh, And certainly as an Ashkenazi Jew, that is a Jew of European uh, origin, uh, I can say that I have family members that were affected, my family, my friends' families, my husband's families. Uh, Kristallnacht itself, though, I, I, I think of my mother in law. My mother-in-law was born and raised in Hamburg, Germany, and uh, she managed, she was a a young woman, a teenager for a good part of, um, you know, Hitler rose to power in 1933. She was a teenager. Her schooling was interrupted. uh, And it was only uh, in 1939, the beginning of 1939, that the family succeeded in leaving Germany and getting uh, an entry visa to the United States. And that was after Kristallnacht. And I think Kristallnacht was an event that, uh, you know, for her, that w- was an, a very difficult thing. Um, don't forget, they they already had been thrown out of school. They were already wearing, uh, you know, yellow stars, marking them as Jews. They were already not allowed to travel uh, on public transportation or go into the parks. And, you know, a lot of the restrictions uh, were already imposed on German Jewry for years at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, as Kristallnacht began and these uh, mobs were going through the streets and, and uh, you know, throwing rocks and, and, and breaking Jewish property and windows, etc., um, the people in her, they lived very close to the synagogue. And her father ran out together with other people from the synagogue, ran into the synagogue to see if they could save the Torah scrolls or any of the other things from these 
looting, destructive mobs. And we had in our house until very recently a candelabra that her father had rescued from the synagogue, brought it with him to the States, and it just there was was in our family. And uh, a few years ago, I donated it to Yad Vashem, uh, uh. the Holocaust Museum here in Israel. Uh, they are always looking for original artifacts that help, you know, demonstrate the story of the Holocaust from a personal point of view. And so we we donated that and, and told them that story. And uh, so, you know, for I, I know also that either on Kristallnacht or like in the days following, my mother's my mother-in-law's father was arrested by the Gestapo. He was put in a Gestapo prison and miraculously was released. Wow. After a few weeks, and miraculously, they got their entry visas to the United States just after that. Incredible. So they were really one of the lucky ones. But unfortunately, you know, growing up, I can tell you that um, a third of my class in school, uh, I went to a Jewish school, a third of my class in school, and about a quarter of the or more of the people in my synagogue were family were Holocaust survivors, the adults. Holocaust survivors, the people in my third of the kids in my class were their parents were Holocaust survivors. So the Holocaust was with us all the time. Wow. Amazing story. Now there are people out there, uh, wrongly I would say, you know, but who who would say things like, well, you know, why don't you just kind of let the past be the past? Why, in your opinion, is it so important for Jews and everyone else really to remember this this kind of event? Well, I guess there are two two answers to that. I think as a Jew, um, the Holocaust has a very Jewish context. Um, anti-Semitism was not invented by Hitler. Anti-Semitism has been with the Jews almost since the beginning. Um, and certainly Christian Europe played a very important role in, uh, in furthering anti-Semitism. And unfortunately, today, you know, we live in a time, and one of the things that I do as, as a Jew reaching out to Christians from Israel, you know, I'm... I'm the director of the Israel Office of a Christian Organization, even though I'm not Christian. What what can be, you know, in a way stranger than that, but also more beautiful than that? Today, <laughs> we have a very different relationship with Christians. But for most of our history and since the beginning of the church, um, Christianity, a lot of Christianity, certainly in Europe, adopted uh, anti-Semitism as part of their core theology, unfortunately. And um, so... What we saw with Hitler was just, let's say, the culmination may be the worst example of this Holocaust. But I can tell you, I talked before about my mother-in-law. My father's mother, my grandmother, uh, was a victim of a pogrom in Russia in, in 1920 or 21, something like that, uh, in the Ukraine, actually. Her first husband and baby were murdered by by anti-Semites who went through their village just murdering and destroying property and murdering Jews wherever they can find them. And she ended up escaping, walking through Europe with her five-year-old daughter, who became my, who was my aunt. Uh, unbelievable providence um, made her way to Hamburg, ironically, where she got on a boat to America. And when she got to the States, mm. she married... Um, a man who was also a widower, and then they had my father. Uh, so, you know, if I think of, and that's a generation before the Holocaust. 
So this is, you know, for Jews then, remembering the Holocaust is remembering all the terrible things that have happened and can continue to happen. Uh, as somebody in Israel, we live in Israel, the Arabs who surround us, very often the, the war, the, the, the struggles, the terrorism aimed against mm. Israel is couched in terms of a, a political struggle or a land dispute. But I'm not saying all of it, but a good deal of it is rooted in plain old-fashioned anti-Semitism. So I think as Jews, we must remember the Holocaust because we must learn these lessons and constantly be on, on guard for anti-Semitism for the sake of our own preservation. But I think humanity has to learn about the Holocaust because this is about what human beings will do to other human beings. And the question that everyone has to ask themselves are, um, if you were living at a time and a place where something like this Holocaust or the pogroms or whatever will be happening uh, against your Jewish neighbors, what will you do? And, and I think right. for that reason, every human being needs to learn the Holocaust and, and, and take the lessons of the Holocaust as a universal message for all of us. Yeah. And for Christians, of course, it's important for us to remember such an event for some of those same reasons. Uh, I think there are probably uh, some lessons that we can draw. And of course, um, you know, you, you mentioned that anti-Semitism is kind of rooted in uh, Christianity and Christian theology from the from the earliest days. And, uh, you know, as a representative of that tribe, I, I say, you know, I'm very sorry for uh, any any kind of input that that happened in in that time we uh we don't agree with that and i i believe there were many christians even at the time of the holocaust who didn't agree with it as well and and thank god for many people who stepped in and became uh you know became friends of uh, jewish people hid jewish people did a lot of those things that uh you know they are they are lauded for at uh, at yad vashem as righteous among the nations but um what other lessons can we draw? Can Christians draw from remembering Kristallnacht and the Holocaust in general? I don't know. I think, I, I think, um, I think Christians do need to uh, take a look at their own history. I don't believe that anyone today who is a kind, good person should be apologizing or feel guilty in any way for the activities of others. However, I, I do think that um, even today, there are Christians who are anti-Semitic. Now, those, they're not the Christians that I'm friendly with. They're not the Christians that come to Israel and say, I love you, Israel, and I love you, Jewish people. But there are a lot of Christians out there who are still even being educated um, under the same assumptions of anti-Semitism. And I think it is very important that Christians become aware of where these assumptions are coming from. I'm no expert in Christian theology or, um, you know, in Christian lore, but I'm sure you know this, Jeff. You know where some of the verses in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, excuse me, have been used to justify anti-Semitism. And, and, and Christians need to 
review that and see, are we really understanding these texts correctly? Have we been taught correctly? Maybe right. there's another way of, of seeing this. I, and I can even go so far, I've had this kind of, uh, many of my Christian friends have told me that, that as children growing up in a church, they had no idea that Jesus was Jewish. They, they had no idea. Right. And, and I have, you know, I very often, I just recently was at an art museum in the United States and there was some, you know, these classic uh, Renaissance paintings, which are very Christian in nature. And there's some of these paintings of, of Jesus as a, as a baby, blonde hair, blue eyed, very pale skin. <laughs> you know, he looks like a Norwegian. He does not look yeah. like a Jew, you know, and that already says something, you know, that there was this disconnect. And I think many people now are, 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 are changing the way they view Jews, Judaism uh, within Christianity. But I think there's probably a lot more that can be done. I don't know. What do you say about that, Jeff? What what has been your experience with that? Oh, I absolutely agree. Uh, we have we have encountered many who, um, you know, who in a passive way, I would say, I, I don't really find a lot of people who would who I would say are are or actively anti-Semitic or who would, who would consider themselves even anti-Semitic. However, when you listen to their, their teaching, their theology, uh, a lot of times they have adopted this idea that, you know, in, in sort of God's grander scheme, now the Jewish people no longer have a, a part to play, that it's all about the church. Uh, and, and of course we disagree with that. We know that, uh, that God has plans for the Jewish people and his promises to them are, are eternal ones, but we do encounter that from, from time to time. And, uh, it's something that we're trying, you know, here in North America to educate people about and help them understand this in a, in a much better way. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad to say at least, uh, you know, in our circles and evangelical circles, I haven't come across, uh, anyone who I would, who I would say is, is, um, you know, passionately anti-Semitic. However, there are some of these underlying uh, ideas that that lend themselves to to some prejudice in that direction, and I, so uh, that would be my response to that. Certainly, we do encounter it, and we're trying to uh, trying to change the narrative. We're trying to help people understand uh, why it's so important that we connect with our with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, now, we've been talking about this term anti-Semitism for a little while now. Um, Give us your definition. What is it exactly? How far back does it go, uh, you know, in maybe the Bible or even in Jewish history? Well, um, literally, anti-Semitism is, is anti-Semitic people, okay? Um, but that's really like a misnomer uh, because anti-Semitism has always been directly only against Jews. I mean, technically, Arabs are... Semites as well, you know, but, right. but, you know, they today, not all Arabs, of course, but some of the worst anti-Semitism uh, today is emanating from Arab countries. Uh, so you certainly, you know, they're not self-hating. They are directing their hatred against Jews. Um, you know, there, there is a sense um, in, in Jewish, Jewish culture and Jewish percep perception that Anti-Semitism is not about Christianity. Christianity fits into it. Christianity adopts it and develops it in its own way. But if we go even back to biblical times, 
there is a, a history of nations who persecute the Jewish people, who attack the Jewish people. And the way it is, you know, the way we see it in the Bible very often is a, a war against Israel and what Israel represents. And, and, you know, keep in mind that in biblical times, Israel was the only nation that believed in the one God creator of the universe uh, sitting amongst a pagan world. And so very often this fight against Israel is a fight against um, our beliefs. Uh, and then uh, post-biblically, mm-hmm. we have the Hanukkah story, which is coming up soon, uh, the holiday of Hanukkah. And and Hanukkah is, is about a, a time during the Second Temple period. It, it is actually uh, takes place in between the end of the Hebrew scriptures and the beginning of the New Testament. It's, it's in there in that little scene. Um, yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a situation where Syrian Greeks uh, conquer Israel and go on a, a religious war against the Jewish people. They, they install a, an idol of Zeus in the temple. They forbid any Jewish temple worship or any kind of Jewish Bible study or any uh, circumcision, you know, any of uh, any of the uh, commandments that Jews keep that are biblical, they forbid it. And um, what happens ultimately is that there is a family, the the family of um, with the Hasmonean family, uh, led by Mattathias, who is uh, himself a high priest, his son Judah, Judah Maccabee. Uh, and they rebel against the Syrian Greeks. And there's the famous cry of Mattathias who says, who is for God is with me. It's actually a direct quote of um, Aaron as he is, um, it, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and, and it's the fight against the golden calf. And, and it's the exact same idea. And so that is probably one of the earliest forms of anti-Semitism uh, that we think of as Jews, going back to that time, which, of course, also political war, etc. But um, at, its, at its foundation, I think anti-Semitism is a fight against the Jewish faith. Uh, unfortunately, and this is something that I really can't explain, that Christianity uh, adopted this idea, even though Christianity believed our Bible. Our Bible that talks mm. about the Jewish people you know, believing in the one in the one true God. Uh, and yet if Christianity takes up this fight, the fight that used to be a pagan fight, Christians take it up, uh, you know, in the early days of Christianity. And, and that, of course, is a puzzle. And, and what you're saying now is um, it just makes so much sense. You're saying, you know, we don't believe that uh, the Christianity has replaced the Jews and there's no more. There's nothing more for the Jews that, and that makes sense because if you believe the Bible, God says very clearly his, the Jewish nation is his nation. That he promised us the land and all these blessings forever. You know, God doesn't change his mind. Right. I can't begin to explain how this all happened. But this is how we see the anti-Semitism through the ages. Sure. 
And we see the signs of, uh, you know, of God bringing that back into into play as, uh, you know, many millions of Jews have made uh, Aliyah and gone back to Jerusalem. Uh, Israel declared as an independent state. All of these are fulfillment of those words of God back in uh, places like Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah. So it's it's something for us to to, you know, have the audacity, I would say, to to say that that you know God won't continue to keep those promises based on everything that we're seeing. And uh, I always tell people in the church, "Hey, listen, if if God doesn't keep His promises to Israel, then uh, you, you and I are in trouble because uh, it means He won't <laughs> keep His promises to us either." You know, so we right. have to be very careful about that. Now, uh, we're we're talking about uh, anti-Semitism and about Kristallnacht, and we want to get back to that in just a second. But do you think it's a coincidence that you know the people that God chose to reveal himself to, that God gave the words of the ancient scripture to, uh, and and promised that they would be a light to the nations? Is it it a coincidence that they have been subject to such irrational hatred throughout history, this this anti-Semitism that we're talking about? Well, I think it's it's, um, more of the same kind of thing that I was talking about. Like if we go back to the Hanukkah story, again, this is a fight against our faith. It's it's it, it plays itself out also as an actual physical battle, as a, as a political fight, etc. But there's no question that when the Syrian Greeks come and say, "You can, we're going to put an idol in the temple," uh, what they are saying is, "We are fighting God. We are putting up right. Zeus, and we're saying, you know, it's Zeus or God, you know." And and I think that this has been the case. I think in the case of Christianity. Uh, Christianity could not accept the fact that that Judaism did not accept Jesus, uh, and and this I think is 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 very problematic because um, Christianity at the t- at the same time says that they believe in the one God, God of the creator of the universe. So it seems to me it doesn't make sense that there was that conflict if we were all believing in the same one God and we didn't. We didn't accept an element that Christianity did, that that would still become an issue, but it clearly was. And, and that's something I think perhaps you as a Christian can explain the spiritual basis for better than I can. But if I look at um, the, the more common uh, representation of anti-Semitism today, it's clearly emanating from the Muslim world, not from the Christian world. And mm. there, I do believe that there is an element of, in in the words of of Islam of jihad, you know, which which is a holy war, and there that's a situation that um, they believe that their faith is the correct one, and ours, yours, and mine, Christian and Judaism, are the wrong faiths. And um, while there were always um, political elements and you know involved in in the, in the struggle of of Israel against all the Arab nations that have tried to to destroy us, uh, especially in recent de- decades, we are seeing a growing influence of radical Islam that is based completely mm. on theology. Uh, now, there are Muslims who reject that theology, who says it's extreme and it doesn't represent how they view things. But we have to remember, I mean, the United States with, with 9-11 and and the terrorist attacks of uh, Al Qaeda, and uh, all of that is 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 very much uh, grounded in their theology. 
Uh, and the fact that today there is a country, Iran, who is probably the greatest threat to the free world today, everything about what they do and represent is 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 uh, based in their theology, and it's definitely a holy war. And they are pledged to the destruction of the state of Israel and all the Jewish people. They think that Hitler was great. They want to finish the job. Mm. And it's, it's just, yeah. you know, it, it's very, very dangerous and very frightening. And, you know, it's not going to do anybody any good. And you see, unfortunately, the West has become a very secular society. So as soon as you present things as a spiritual battle or a battle of theologies, um, very often, many in the West who are more secular will say, oh, this is ridiculous. It is at our peril that we ignore these issues, whether we're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, or an atheist, okay? We must mm-hmm. recognize that there are people out there that operate on the basis of faith. Now, I would say today, most Christians and most Jews, when they operate on the basis of, th- of faith, they are trying to do good in the world, okay? Unfortunately, there's a whole segment of Islam where these people are think they're doing good in the world, but what they're doing is raining down destruction, and it's all coming from their faith. Yeah. What more spiritual battle than that? Can you, you know, to me, that is that's very clear. Unfortunately. Yeah. No, you're 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 absolutely right. And I think that no matter what your sort of faith leaning is or or even a person of non-faith, we have to grapple with the idea of good and evil. I mean, if there is good, then then there must be the antithesis of good, which is which is evil. And I think that uh, that is where these influences come from, not to oversimplify it, but but I really do feel like that that sort of spiritual battle takes place. Uh, We've already established, I think, that, uh, you know, the Jews in Germany in 1938 were very aware of of anti-Semitism. It was part of their part of their uh, world. But do you think those Jews, uh, you know, all those years ago, had any idea the depths of the evil that would come out of uh, come out of this, uh, you know, AKA the Holocaust. I don't think so. And again, I can tell you a personal story. Um, my, my, I've, I'm going to, by the end of this broadcast, we're going to have covered all my relatives, um, my mother's <laughs> family. Okay. Now we're on my mother's family. We did my in-laws. We did my father's family. Now we're on my mother's family. Okay. Now my mother was born in Budapest, but her family actually lived in, um, what is today Slovakia? All right. Now, Slovakia is very interesting where they live. They had a they had a very strong Jewish community. And in fact, in their region of Slovakia, they spoke German. They did not speak Slovak and they didn't speak Hungarian. They spoke German. And um, they admired everything German. Uh, the Jews spoke German. They read German literature. They were very close to Vienna. They would go to Vienna for business, they would go to Vienna for theater, concerts. All of this was a very German culture that they admired greatly. Um, mm. And that's on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, they knew that uh, pogroms and not too many generations earlier, even in the area that they were living in, Jews did not fare so well. But during this period of time, between the two world wars, Jews 
we're doing better in that area, what became Czechoslovakia, it was actually then Czechoslovakia, um, than they were doing in America. In America, there were quotas that limited how many Jews could attend universities. In Czechoslovakia, you know, Jews could attend university. There was no discrimination. There were no quotas. And so this was the background. So even though they had this memory of a collective memory of anti-Semitism, they were fairly confident that this was over. Uh, for my grandfather, two, two major things were of significance. Mm. Number one, Adolf Hitler took over Germany in 1933. And my grandfather took out the book Mein Kampf from the library and read it in German. And he, in that book, which Hitler actually wrote, I believe, in 1928, he wrote exactly what he was going to do. He talks about the Jews as vermin. He is going to destroy them. His plan was to take over Europe and kill all the Jews. And he writes that in Mein Kampf. That's number one. Number two, the Nazi party, you know, was, um, it was almost like a club in, in many countries or the beginnings of a political party. Where he lived uh, in Slovakia, in Bratislava, there was a Nazi party that was getting organized. Uh, Hitler used or Nazi. Now, this was before Hitler invaded. This was independent Czechoslovakia. And yet there was this Nazi club that had gotten organized, that read Mein Kampf, idolized uh, Adolf Hitler. And so my grandfather oh. is sitting in, I think it's like in 1936, something like that. And, and he's sitting on a, on a, in a coffee shop in Bratislava, and he sees these brown shirts marching down with anti-Semitic slogans and Heil Hitler. He puts those two things together and he says, I'm out of here. Because Hitler is just west of them and is talking about, now this is before he had even occupied Austria. After Austria, they were the next step, okay? He says, Hitler is, you know, banging his tom-toms and he's about to go to war and conquer the rest of Europe. And he already wrote that he's going to conquer Europe and kill all the Jews. My grandfather says, I believe him. And when I see the brown shirts marching in Bratislava, I say, and he has locals who will support him, who will cheer him on, I'm out of here. He, it takes him a couple of years until he's able to find a visa, gets himself to England, then eventually to the United States. And thank God my parent, my mother and her family, her immediate family is saved. My grandfather then has a sister, two brothers and a mother. Her, his siblings all have families and children. And he goes to them with the same understanding. And he says, we got to get out of here. And they think he's crazy. They said he's being, oh, Mein Kampf, Hitler, he's a madman. You're going to listen to the ravings of a madman. Don't take him seriously. Yeah, there might be some anti-Semitism. So, you know, a couple of people will get beat up. You know what? We've been there, done that. We'll get through it. It's not a reason to pack our bags and leave everything behind. My grandfather was a successful businessman. He, he could not take his money out. He could not sell his business. He left with nothing. Okay. And his, well, his family wasn't willing. Every single one of his siblings, his wow. nieces, his nephews, his in-laws, his mother, all were gassed in Auschwitz. So, no, they did not believe that this would happen. Wow. Wow. Well, there is uh, 
a troubling rise in anti-Semitism around the world today. And um, it really, it really does, uh, you know, it, it bothers me. I'm, I'm sure that it bothers you to see um, this, this increase in anti-Semitic activity. And, and it's, unfortunately, we're hearing about it almost every few weeks and uh, in countries like my own and in the United States and, and other parts of the world. Um, the other thing that's bothering me a little bit these days is that there's a lot of Holocaust-related terminology being thrown around, uh, you know, regarding comparisons to things like, you know, vaccine passports, for example, um, and comparing that to what happened with uh, the Jews in Germany. My estimation, this is this is incredibly disrespectful to millions of Jews who lost their lives in the Holocaust to compare, you know, a, a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic and sort of the the measures that we're taking to try and control that to to what happened back then is just uh, is just uh, an atrocity. What's the danger in your estimation in using terms of reference like this, like this and, and not challenging people when they do that? Well, I agree with you. It's, it's very, very disrespectful. It's demeaning uh, to the memory of all those who perished, uh, who were murdered in the Holocaust. Uh, but I do, I do think that there's. It's more than that. It's, it's a tremendous danger. Uh, for example, okay, we talk about the vaccine passports. The same people that are comparing vaccine passports to the Nazi uh, yellow star, or whatever, and saying you know you're inhibiting our freedoms or whatever. Those are some of the same people that are saying it's not such a serious pandemic because they're saying, what do you need this for, right? They're saying it's like a flu. Yeah. So at the same time as they're comparing this to the Nazis, they are downgrading the danger. And so it's it's even worse than it sounds because they're basically, they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, the, everything the Nazis did were, was so beyond any dangerous thing that any of us are encountering. It was not just so evil. It was so dangerous. I mean, this is a, a country that murdered six million Jews and was able to just round these Jews up from wherever they were, ship them on cattle cars and, and, and put them in gas chambers and, and burn their and burn their bodies in, in the crematoria. I mean, this is a, a powerful death machine. Um, and to compare that to a, a pandemic and then the same people making that comparison and saying, well, it's not really a pandemic, it's just the flu. It's belittling the danger. It's belittling, and so it, it kind right. of also numbs you, and you and, and you and you, that's the danger. Okay, the danger is you treat any risk, any danger, any evil as something really kind of benign, and, and so it's not just immoral. It's dangerous because then when you see a real danger coming at you, you will not recognize it. Because everything has been made to be, well, well, you know, it's not a big deal. And and I think so. It's it's dangerous physically. And, of course, it's morally reprehensible, um, as you said, because, you know, the Holocaust was something else. And, and I'll tell you the truth. I get very upset um, when I hear use of the words um, genocide, crimes against humanity, a Holocaust. These are words that have mm -hmm. been set aside uniquely to describe um, the Holocaust and what the Nazis did to the Jews. And they should not be used in any other context. Um, you know, one of the things I found deeply disturbing, and I, and I know that there's a huge debate going on, particularly in the United States today, 
about these COVID vaccines, and I'm certainly not going to weigh in on that argument today. But I was very disturbed when I I got an email and one of my colleagues got similar emails accusing Israel of crimes against humanity because we were vaccinating, you know, uh, encouraging vaccinating of, of our population. And, and how can you say such a thing? You know, we're vaccinating people to to save them and we're being accused of genocide. Right. Someone wrote me and said, this is genocide. How can you? Do, it is. I didn't even know what to do with myself. It was so morally reprehensible to see this thing. And it was a very interesting guy. I was having a conversation with somebody in the States a few weeks ago about this. And he said he had done some research. He actually wrote an article about it as well. He said he had done some research and he discovered that there was actually um, neo-Nazis and the alt-right and some real bad anti-Semites that were actually adopting this anti-vaccine, you know, argument and in, in... purposely um, utilizing it for anti-Semitic reasons. In other words, they were purposely injecting the anti-Semitic rhetoric into this whole thing. But unfortunately, there are people who are very good people who are anti-vaccine, but they are being influenced by this anti-Semitic rhetoric that has been purposely injected into the argument. And so this is, you know, I think everybody, regardless of where you stand on the vaccines, be very careful about the rhetoric you're using and the rhetoric that's being used by people that you are listening to. If you see anti-Semitic or, or, or Nazi-type rhetoric being used, stay away from that because you know the source of that is going to be very, very problematic. Well, that's great advice. And uh, if you're watching or listening, I think you should really give some some deep consideration to those thoughts that Sandra just shared. And I would add this, you know, as somebody who a few years ago was able to do a study tour throughout Poland, visited a number of the of the camps there in that country. Um, I think this is why I react so strongly when people, you know, try to use this, you know, this language or this comparison between, you know, what's happening with the pandemic and and the Holocaust, because I have been, I have visited, I've seen with my own eyes, the, the, um, you know, assembly line type, um, uh, extermination of, of a people. It, It was just, uh, horrific to visit places like Auschwitz and Dachau and Buchenwald and and others that we that we were at and to see um, the the machinations of of evil is the only way that I can express this and uh, at Auschwitz in particular although you know some of the other camps were 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 designed specifically for you know, murder, extermination. Auschwitz uh, was a was a labor camp where also this this horrible these horrible things happened. But to see the the rooms full of of uh, you know human hair and full of shoes and and glasses and it just boggles the mind uh, to think that anyone could uh, you know stand by and not determine this as evil. And so I think that's why it's so important. It's so important that we remember. It's so important that we talk about these things. It's so important that we that we guard against letting this kind of language creep back into our, our normal conversations. Because, uh, you know, 
if it happened before, and we pray that it would never happen again. However, uh, unless we keep up our guard, unless we are, are very careful with all of this, um, you know, is it possible? I would I would hate to think that it is, but probably so. And so um, I just kind of wanted to add that. And, and Sandra, it's been great to have you on the podcast again today. I uh, really appreciate your your thoughts and those personal stories, uh, you know, that that draw us right into to what was happening in the early days of the war. And, and of course, this week, uh, I think tomorrow and the day after is the commemoration of, of Kristallnacht. And we, uh, along with you, grieve the loss of so many uh, Jews during that time. And especially, you know, the of note, I think, is, is the fact that this was one of the first mass um, arrests and, and, and evictions to, to concentration camps. Um, that that we have on record, thirty thousand you know men who were taken away during these uh, these programs, and it was the beginning of the end, really, wasn't it? Right, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Anyhow, um, hey, not always the cheeriest of conversations, but these are are good things for us to talk about. And Sandra, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for being with us on the podcast. Thank you. And thank you, Jeff, for being willing to tackle such a difficult subject, but it is a subject that needs to be discussed and aired. And I really appreciated that you dedicated a podcast to this.